Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by John Crampton. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. Great. Really good to, to be with you this morning. And uh, thanks for allowing Lisa and I to be away last weekend. We were down in the Eastern Cape met with a number of church leaders, part of the Foundation Ministries International family in the coastal regions, and a number of pastors got together for a couple of days just to to hear what the Lord's doing, to strengthen and encourage one another. Uh, We're all facing different challenges, and uh, so it's really so good that we don't walk alone, and uh, so that there's this this brotherhood, if you like, of uh, of leaders who can, uh, can encourage, strengthen, and also, you know, um, and sometimes we need to hold each other accountable. You know, what, what are you doing with what God has given you? And, uh, and uh, are, you, are you living the way that he wants you to live? Right? There's a lot of safety in that. And unfortunately, making too many news headlines are church leaders who will not submit themselves to mutual accountability and will not allow others to speak into their lives. And uh, it's a real, real challenge to the body of Christ because it, it, uh, it puts us in a very bad light when we get a couple of um, uh, rotten apples uh, in the basket. And uh, so uh, these, these are really, really important. So I had a good time uh, down with the, the church in East London as well on the weekend with Hope Alive. And uh, yeah, hope is alive. Hallelujah. So, so good. Yeah, well, um, you know, the couple of, uh, we were praying, you know, for the folks writing exams or whatever, but overheard on the playground not so long ago were these, these three boys, and they were bragging about their dad. And the one boy said, you know, my dad, he just grabs a little piece of paper, scribbles down a few notes, calls it a poem, he gets paid a thousand rands for that. It's kind of, oh, that's impressive. The other boy says, no, hang on. my dad, he gets a piece of paper, he scribbles down some notes, calls it an article, submits it to a newspaper, he gets paid 5,000 rands. It's kind of, hmm. Third boy says, that chaps, that's nothing. My dad, he scribbles down a few things on a piece of paper, he calls it a sermon, it takes five men with buckets to collect the money. Uh, relax we don't send the buckets around it's all gonna be okay all right so we've been learning some lessons from Jeremiah we've been uh, looking at what God was doing and saying to the people of God during a time of major lockdown and we were drawing some principles in terms of what God was doing and saying to his people in and through difficult times. And that some of the most amazing revelations coming out of scripture actually originated in some of the most devastating times in the the period of um, God's dealings with his people. You know, many times we in our natural selves want to gravitate towards a place of ease and comfort and then we think that God will speak to us up in the mountain, on the mountaintop. You know, these high points 
of, of you know, God encounter when everything is going just hunky-dory. But in actual fact, God reveals himself really powerfully when things are going um, very hard, challenging circumstances for God's people. When we're down in the valley. And, um, and so one of those passages that we're going to look at today is from Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 17. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You heard that scripture? We've perhaps even sung songs about it, that nothing is too difficult for you, O oh God. Oh, Lord God, you made the heavens and the earth. It's appealing to the power of our creator. Not only is he powerful enough to create out of nothing, but also to sustain it. So he's immensely powerful. And so nothing, no circumstance, no difficulty is too hard and difficult for him. That's a really good word. Yeah, yeah? That's encouraging, it's strengthening. But did you know that that verse came in the middle of the chaos of lockdown? Of course you do, because you were paying attention, you know, the previous weeks. <laughs> All right. So uh, just for those who are joining with us, just to recognize that God spoke to his people over the years when they turned away from him, they perhaps had uh, backslidden, sometimes even got into idolatry, the kinds of things that Daryl was talking about, where the people chased after other gods. And God would send his prophets to warn them and to call them back to return to the Lord. Sometimes they did. Maybe it was a short season. In, in, in the context of the northern kingdoms, they had 19 kings in a row, all of them bad kings. Gosh, we just had nine wasted years. So I'll try and behave myself. Imagine having 19 presidents, kings, in a row who are absolutely abusing their position and are, are not doing righteous deeds or acts. And in the context of God's people, the northern kingdoms, there were 10 tribes to the north, the northern kingdom, and that was called Israel. Two tribes to the south, that was called Judah. All right, And so they had their headquarters in Jerusalem. And so the 10 tribes in the north, Israel, they had 19 successive kings who were really, really bad. And uh, did their own thing and did not serve the purposes of God. So God was right in calling them out for their sin. Okay, And so they went off, the northern kingdoms got carried off uh, by the Assyrians in about 740 BC. And uh, so off they went and they then sent their, their particular uh, foreign policy, for those of you who track political, international political things, their international foreign policy was that when they conquered a particular land, they would then send other lands that they'd conquered, they would send peoples into 
the other place that they'd conquered. And so there was this, uh, not so much cross-pollination, but people were, were relocated and they were disoriented because they were in a foreign place. And so the foreign people came in and some of the Jews who remained in the northern kingdom, they then intermarried with these other tribes, other people, which was not what God wanted them to do. And as a result, we get the nation called the Samaritans. Okay, and so we can understand that later on there was this separation between the Jews and the Samaritans because they hadn't fully followed and obeyed God's command to them. And so this is where it originated from way back then. So we get the northern tribes, um, and then we get Judah in the south, and the Babylonians get raised up, and uh, it being prophesied that they were going to um, be taken out. And Jeremiah was one of those prophets. And uh, the first wave had gone out in uh, about 605 B.C., the next wave went a few years later, 597 BC. And so here we are, we're at about 587 BC. Remember, it goes backwards, BC. All right? And so um, Jeremiah, he's prophesying and he's, he's telling God's people that God is going to bring a judgment on them because they've not turned. Even though the first wave had gone, and the second wave had gone, they still were doing their own thing. And there was a king in place who wasn't dealing righteously. And, uh, and so into this mix, God begins to prophesy and declare that he's using this lockdown period for his plans and his purposes. And, uh, and so he's calling the people... Firstly, to put their trust in the Lord that even though they're going to go through these difficult times, God has got a plan and a purpose. And in fact, he's even revealed that it's only going to be for 70 years. And it's right at that point where God says, for I know the plans that I have for you. This is Jeremiah chapter 29. Plans to prosper you for your success. It's kind of like, what? This lockdown is for my success? This being carried off into captivity, being in isolation, this is, this is for our good? But the Lord could see way into the future in terms of what was going to be established. And the lockdown was a massive reset. Anybody heard that as a prophetic word this year? 2020 was going to be a year of reset. And God used this period of, of history with his people to do a major reset. They hadn't been observing the Sabbath. They hadn't let the land lie fallow. And for, for 490 years, they hadn't observed the seven-year cycle of letting the, the, the land rest in the seventh year. So God said, right, let's tally up the books, and uh, you owe me, so let's take them back to back. 70 years is what it, it turns out. 
So you can have a 70-year holiday. This is amazing. Yeah? So uh, they, they get, they get um, you know, foreign investment. Uh, they, they, they get a shuttle uh, service organized for them. They get taken off by the Babylonians under, you know, secure escort. And, uh, and they go off to, to Babylon. And, um, and, and the prophetic word comes through Jeremiah. Guys, settle down. Pray for the prosperity of that city, Babylon. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. It's kind of like, what? These guys are the enemy. Whoa. You know, remember Jesus said, bless your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. All right. So this is nothing new. Hello? So they pray into that place, settle down. You know what? Have families. Increase. And, and the Lord was giving them that because there was, a, there was a promise that was coming at the end of it, which was going to be about full restoration. And of course, we know that we were looking forward later on, a chap by the name of um, Haggai comes along, when, when they've just got the foundation laid, this is now 70 years later, just got the foundation for the temple laid. And uh, some people are, are weeping because they remembered what the, old, what the previous temple, Solomon's temple, used to look like. And they're weeping. But others are rejoicing. These are, they're not the born frees. What are they? They're the born in captivity. But they've heard the stories of revival. For 70 years, they've been told, one day we're going back. One day we will rebuild. God spoke about this even before the Babylonians came onto the scene. God promised there would be a massive rebuild. There would be a reconstruction and development program that would actually be validated by those in authority. Are we drawing some principles here, people? Okay. And so these younger ones who were born into uh, captivity, but they had the promise that one day things are going to get turned around. And so when they returned, remember not everybody returned, right? There's still a bunch of people. They, did have, they took Jeremiah's word too seriously, you know, like stay, settle down, plant, you know, have families, transact, pray for the prosperity of the city. Well, they got so involved with the prosperity of the city that when there was an opportunity to go back to their homeland, they didn't. They stayed behind. That's why you get that whole bunch and that episode happening with Esther because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Hmm. Nevertheless, some of them did return and they'd been told the stories of revival. And they knew that the best was yet to come. They used a different hashtag in those days. It was, for the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. We've just abbreviated and said, hashtag, the best is yet to come. And so there was this looking forward to God's purposes and what he was going to be doing. And the promises that came. So these promises 
of hope and of courage and strength came in the most difficult of times and situations. And so no matter what we're facing, we hold on to the words of the Lord because he will strengthen us and he will encourage us. He's got things for us and for our future. And even if the circumstances begin to manifest in the exact opposite of what we're hoping for, do not give up on the word of the Lord. Amen. Nothing is too hard for you. All right? So you're looking at your bank balance. You're looking at your order book if you're a business person. You're looking at your debts. You're looking at, at you know, what, what you need to accomplish before year end. It's kind of like, Lord, how is this possible? This is when you go to a verse like this. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. That's really, really encouraging. All right, fantastic. Now, let me tell you a little bit of a story which actually provides the exact context for this phrase. Would you like that? Everyone loves a story. Okay, so there was this guy, Jeremiah, not the bullfrog guy, you know, Jeremiah the prophet. And Jeremiah, because he was steadfastly standing for righteousness, his name means God throws. And it's a bit of a strange name. But is it, you know, God throws or brings down the nations? Or is God thrusting Jeremiah as a word, as a, as a living testimony, thrusting him to the people that they might take note? A bit like a wrecking ball. So, and he's got a, a father, and uh, his father's got an unusual name. It's Hilkiah. And his father's name means, the Lord is my portion. Don't you just love that? So Jeremiah is the son of, the Lord is my portion. Oh, I love that. Listen, Jeremiah did not grow up with a poverty mentality. He grew up in a, a small little town called Anathoth. And I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, and I don't have a lisp this morning. But Anathoth. And it was a Levitical town. It was in the uh, Benjamin um, tribe sort of areas. It was about five kilometers northeast of Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah grows up in this Levitical town, so he's part of the Levites, and those who give and consecrated to serving the Lord and his purposes. So Jeremiah is this prophet, he's grown up with an understanding that the Lord is my portion. This is really, really important, because what happens is that as a prophet, he gets this amazing word of knowledge. Yeah, the Lord tells him, listen, your uncle uh, is, is on his way. And the uncle's name was Hananel. Yeah. And which means grace of God or gift of God. So his uncle comes and firstly the Lord gives him the word of knowledge and then it works out exactly just like that. So the uncle comes and said, listen, um, there is a field which belongs to us as a family 
And uh, you have the option to redeem it. Because no one else in the family can get it. You can buy it because you're part of the, the, the family clan from the homeland area. And, uh, and you can redeem it. Now, Jeremiah, at that point, was sitting in jail, effectively. So he's in the courtyard um, of, the, of the king there, and he's under basically house arrest. And he, he's not free to move and come and go as he likes, because what happened was that in the middle of this time, we've had the, the Babylonians come and do one of their sieges. So... Remember there was the first wave, second wave, now we're heading for the third wave. As they can see the Babylonians coming for the third wave, the people retreated and come back to the strong town of Jerusalem with the walls for protection. Yeah, And so while they're there, they're being besieged and it's taking some time. Then the, the, one of the pharaohs in Egypt decides, you know what, he's actually going to try his, his luck, so to speak, and he's going to come out against the Babylonians. And the Babylonians say, whoa, sit tight Jerusalem, I'll be back. And they go off to go and wage war against the Egyptians. So the, 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 the Jews in Jerusalem, they're kind of like, wow, this is amazing. The Babylonians are gone. We're free. Woo-hoo. And Jeremiah says, no, 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 no. The Lord says, king, trouble is still coming for you. They will be back and you will be carted off into captivity. So the king didn't really like Jeremiah. And occasion, on other occasions said, you know, basically you've only got bad words for me. What kind of a prophet are you? And uh, so in this, this, this first wave of siege, Jeremiah's in Jerusalem and he's basically saying, guys, you can wage war, whatever it is, but God is not going to fight for you. You guys are in trouble. The Babylonians are going to win. Even though they then pulled away, He said, hold tight. But when this time where the Babylonians went off to go and wage war against the Egyptians, Jeremiah wanted to go to his hometown, Anathoth, which is only five kilometers away, to go and sort out property issues. And as he's leaving, border control at the gate of the town They arrest him under false charges. And they say, no, you're escaping because you actually want to go and join the other side. You're going to be a traitor. So they falsely accused him and falsely arrested him. And they threw him in the dungeon. This is not a good thing. All right. So Jeremiah, uh, after he's been in the dungeon for a while... Uh, then the king says, all right, let me just hear one more time. Has the Lord got something to say to me? And of course, Jeremiah, like a stuck record, you know, repeats the same message. Not good news for you, king. But for some reason, Jeremiah says, but listen, please don't throw me back into the dungeon. This is, this is what have I done? You know, can you change the place where, where I am you know, held cap, uh, captive? And that's why he ends up now in the courtyard of, uh, of the, the, the jailer, so to speak. 
So that's where he is, and he's been given daily provision of bread, which is a big thing because if you were in jail, you know, there was, there was no room service. You had to have friends and family bring you stuff. Those were jails of those days. And so it was obviously a very, very difficult place. Now he's in the courtyard, and the king has said he gets a daily supply of bread. This is really nice. But he's still there under false charges. This is not a good thing. While he's there, the Lord does something very amazing. Do you remember he wanted to go to his hometown to sort out property issues? Well, then the uncle comes to him and says, hey, I've got a deal for you, property. So when the uncle arrives, he knew exactly his uncle was coming, when he was coming, and why he was coming. He had a word of knowledge. Yeah. As a good prophet, he should have. So he knew it was the Lord. And so they go through this major big thing in front of everybody in the courtyard there. And he, uh, he writes out a, a contract and um, he sorts out the shekels, uh, 17 shekels, which is about 200 grams worth of silver to pay for the ground. And uh, there's this one um, document is, is signed and sealed, literally. You heard that expression, signed and sealed? Yep, this chapter, that's where it is. So he signed and sealed, but there was another scroll that they didn't uh, sign but not sealed, so it could be openly referred to. And then he says, guys, stick this in some clay pots, some jars, because this needs to be saved for a very long time. Because the Lord is prophetically saying, land will once again be sold and traded in this region, in Jerusalem and in Benjamin in the future. So he was doing a prophetic act. Now listen, Jeremiah knew how to read the stock market. He knew that when the moodies changed and things went downgraded, he knew when it was good time to buy and when it's a good time to sell. And he wasn't looking for much junk. The absolute wrong time to buy, to buy property is when you've got an army invading. And you know because you prophesied you're going to get carried off into exile. And yet he knew to do it because God had set him up through this prophetic word. Before the uncle comes, then the uncle comes, he says, okay, this is the Lord, I'm going to go through with it. But he had a mindset, the Lord is my portion. Hey dad, the Lord is my portion. Do you think there'll be enough? Well, if my name's anything to go by, I'd say, if the Lord is my portion... There will always be enough. So he didn't allow poverty mentality or lack or economic circumstance, political upheaval, any of those things 
to change what the Lord had said to him. In the natural, it made no sense to buy the land. But he did it as a prophetic action. Now, interestingly enough, a couple of things about prophetic actions. One, it can seem unusual. Sometimes we do something as a prophetic act that is a little bit strange to the natural carnal mind. Secondly, often it's contrary to our circumstances. All right? So we're doing something, we're enacting something because we are trusting the Lord for a change, a shift, a different outcome. So contrary to what we're seeing. Thirdly, a small action can have a disproportionate result. So with Jeremiah, it's just like one little field that he redeems. Redeems. God is our redeemer. He redeems one small little field and God redeems a nation. Interesting. And a fourth thing, please, just if you're making notes. When you are doing a prophetic act or a prophetic action, please, it must be inspired not by your own imagination, but it must be coming from the Spirit. All right? Too many people, out of their own will, belief, wants, and desires, have prophesied about all kinds of trumpets and wasn't necessarily accurate. And it causes a lot of consternation in the body of Christ when, kind of like, well, I thought you guys all prophesied. So what's going on here? So sometimes there's a, there's a, we, we want something to happen and we can see why it would be a good thing for it to happen. And so we join our faith and we make a decree. But there's a difference between making a decree in the sense of a positive declaration of what you want to see God do in and through the kingdom. That's a little bit different from thus saith the Lord. And I mean, we don't speak King James English anyway, so we don't talk like that, but uh, I knew you'd get me when I said that. So when we know there's a, a strong prophetic word, there's something really different because it's God speaking. Sometimes it's kind of like, you know, I want to put my faith towards something because I'm, I'm, I'm praying for a particular outcome. But there's a difference between that and God says. Right? And so we need to just be aware that every word must be tested. Even if it's your most favorite prophet making the declaration or the prophetic word, it must be tested. That's what the Bible says. Let's see, what does that say? It says... We've nearly had enough. <laughs> the Lord says, houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. So, Jeremiah, he's in the courtyard, and he's gone through this whole process with public witnesses as a prophetic act that God was going to do something 
He was going to turn it around. So he's done all that. And then he says in, uh, in verse 17, Ah, oh, Lord, you're the almighty one. You're the sovereign one. You're the creator of heaven and earth. Nothing is too hard for you. He goes on, he talks about God's blessing from generation to generation. However, the iniquity, please just be careful, some of your translations are covering that over. Some people say the sins of the, four, of the fathers coming on the laps of the children. But it's the iniquity. The iniquity is the driving force, that a tendency that can be passed from generation to generation that causes people to behave and act in a particular way. Because the very next verse, verse 19, just says, you know what, according to your deeds, you're going to be rewarded. God is judging, he sees, he watches everyone, but according to what you do, you'll be judged. In other words, I cannot be held responsible for my father's sins or my grandfather's sins. Every one of us stand before the throne ourselves for our own actions. All right. However, we do watch in family lines, there's certain tendencies, and we need to be careful of these things. Now, the wonderful thing is, God's love and mercy and kindness, his goodness, it's kind of like a godly inheritance. That thing wants to run for a thousand generations. But the iniquity part to the third and the fourth generation only. This is not going on forever and ever and ever. It's hundreds of times more the proportion God's kindness and goodness and favor towards us than whatever calamity could come towards us. Let's get the proportion right. And let's not be thinking like every time something goes wrong, oh, it's somebody else's fault. Come on, Colossians 2 said, you know what, the accusations that were against us, the written code, it was canceled, it was nailed to the cross, done. Done. Thank you, Lord. All of this stuff generationally done at the cross. Amen. Yay. Believe the Bible. So, these things, the, sometimes the consequences from one generation spill over and flow into the next because they're consequences to our actions. So the ESV talks about the guilt coming through into the next generation. NASB talks about iniquity, which is a f probably more accurate translation. So it's this iniquity thing, not, not the sin. You're not going to be held guilty. It's not coming into your lap. And the whole thing of the lap was, you know, they had an outer garment. They had a belt, then an outer garment. And they would scoop up with the outer garment and they'd create this pouch so you could get a measure so you'll see this in Psalm 79. It's written around that sort of exile time, you know, um, and um, also in verse 12, and then also in Isaiah, in the last verse 12 of Isaiah 64, and then it goes into Isaiah 65, verses 6 and 7, about the measure of, of God's, the, the consequences that are coming for disobedience, for iniquity, the full measure will be given. Because the question is, Lord, you know, are you just going to let this people get away with this stuff? Or are you going to deal with them disproportionately? It's kind of like this. No. Proportionately, full measure. 
And that concept of coming into the lap, the measure that's into the lap. All right. And so we get this again coming through in, in Jeremiah chapter 32. And, but the Lord's giving this promise, and, and then he speaks a word at the end. He's answering. So because Jeremiah is praying this prayer, you know, okay, Lord, I bought, I've sold, you know, I bought this piece of ground, and you told me to, but like, what's with all this? And the Lord answers him in uh, verse um, one of them and, and says, you know, is anything too hard for me? Question mark. Meaning, there isn't. So, Siri's trying to help me here. <laughs> Gotta be careful who you talk to. So, so the Lord says, Is anything too hard for me? Question mark. When God asks a question, it's not because He doesn't know the answer, He knows what the answer is. He's wanting us to think about it. It's kind of like, of course, rhetorical question. Nothing is too hard for Him. And then the Lord goes on and gives this amazing um, thing of promise. And he says, you know what? Land, again, will be bought. And vineyards and crops and all these kinds of things. I will restore. I will restore you from captivity. I will bring you out. And, and, and this is the word, this is the promise that the Lord is giving to us. As we're going through all of this difficulty and all this hardship, we're going through junk status, we're going through corruption trials, we're going through war cuts, we're going through all these different things. So many, so many issues we're facing, whether you know, it's the economy, it's politics. In here it talks about sword and famine and plague. We're going through a plague. Maybe it's relational difficulty. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe your land got taken from you. Maybe your hope has been stolen from you. This is the point. God comes through really powerfully. Even after that prophetic action, God comes to encourage Jeremiah. He says, listen, what you did... Is because I asked you to do it, and because this is what's going to happen. Restoration is on the way. Restoration is on the way. What can we learn through this time, through this season? You can, you can sit back and say, ah, oh, you know, it's just happening all around the planet, various stages of lockdown easing and then going back into hard lockdown. You know, there's nothing we can do. You know, you just got to go along with it. And you can just resign yourself as though it was meaningless. Or you could say, Lord, what are you doing in this season? Because God, you are busy in each and every season. So Lord, what are you doing? What are you causing to grow in my life? Are you causing me to become stronger in my faith, my hope, my courage, my perseverance, my endurance, 
my spiritual maturity? Lord, what is it that you are causing to grow in me? And as I come for my fourth closing, we're just taking note this morning with the, the rain that's gently falling here in Joyburg and how much we're enjoying it and looking forward to taking out the lawnmower again. Because this is a season of growth. It's kind of like, can you see the signs? You know, a few months ago there was no need for a lawnmower. Now there is. Lord, what are the seasons? What's happening in this season? And what are the signs of growth? Let's be looking for it spiritually. Let's be looking for it in our families relationally. And let's be looking for it in our nation. Because God's busy. Jeremiah, one prophetic action that he had scope for by the field. Opens up God's heart. He's going to redeem the whole nation. The land, the fields that should have been fallow, one in seven, now gets 70 years back to back during the the captivity time. But God is going to redeem it all. And he said, I've given you this land. This is part of your inheritance. Now, Let's first be looking for what is our spiritual land. And we'll worry about turf later. What is our spiritual land that God has for us? Now let's go after these things. Remembering that there's a great promise that God's going to restore. Restore the fortunes of his people. That's amazing. It's an interesting way. Of saying I'm going to bring you back out of captivity. And you'll notice. With a number of these different translations. You've got your Bible on your, on your phone or whatever device. And you can switch between the different translations. Uh, right as you're getting towards the end of. of uh, uh, I think it's about verse 44. God, God speaks about restoring. Your fortunes. Which is the same as I'm going to bring you out of. The sense of lockdown. Captivity. This is interesting. God's wanting us to step into learning about ruling and reigning. Hope to go back to some of the parables again. We, we looked at them in the middle of lockdown. But God gives things to us to steward, to look after, so that having learned the lessons, we might then be entrusted Okay, rule over 10 cities. First, learn how to steward something in the physical realm, the financial realm. Look after that well, then I'm going to give you authority. God is all about entrusting things to us that we might do well 
in order that we might be rewarded. A good father sets up their children for success. God had you in his heart and mind before the creation, the foundation of the world. Yes? And in his heart, I know the plans I have for you for good. Good plans. God's heart is for us to succeed. And he's wanting to set us up for success. God's not trying to do you down. That would be a serpentish. Did God really say to use? Surely he's holding something back from you. Creating doubt. Creating an anticipation or an expectation for lack. That God is not able or he doesn't want the best for you. God started out Eden. He says, chaps, this is good, very good, totally set up for success. That was God's original intention, first Adam. Second Adam came to restore, back to God's original intention, for good, very good. Yes. Amen. On that note, let's stand. In our connect groups this week, we will go through some of the, the scriptures, um, perhaps a, a little bit greater clarity where you can, can read through those long chunks. But it's absolutely uh, astounding God's plans and purposes that he is going to uh, accomplish even though the circumstances look the exact opposite. And God spoke these things before they happened, not after they happened. Oh, I'm just going to cover it up and catch up and you know, pretend that actually I knew. No, no, before it happened, even with the Babylonians retreating and leaving, and it seemed, oh, we're okay, we're free. It's kind of like, no, 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 no. This is still God's plan, purpose, and intention. And he did that before the calamity hit in its absolute sort of totality so that they would know, okay, if this part of the word is true, then the redeeming part is also true. Come on. Yay. All right. And so God gives both. God is wanting us to be strong in him and to stand firm and secure. Trusting that he has got us and he's got this. 
Somebody preached on this recently. God's got this. Yay. Come on, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Nothing takes you by surprise. You know the end, even from the very beginning, you know what the end is going to be. We know that right at the end of this age, you will lead us in victory and in triumph. Because we are in you, we will be the victorious ones. We will be overcomers. But even as we're journeying towards that, we thank you that you cause us to be overcomers. We're asking help us with our mindset that we would not grab hold of a loser mentality, but that we would embrace your word to us that you will restore, you will redeem, you will revive, and you will cause us to be established in your plans and purposes. So to, today, we once again bring ourselves before you. Say, Lord, here we are. We are yours. Lord, our life is yours. Our future is yours. All that we have is yours. And thank you that we can trust you. And thank you that you have got good plans and purposes in store for us. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen, amen. Fantastic. Just before Daryl comes to, to close out our, our time together, I know that many of the business folk are going to be getting together on Saturday morning. But I'm trusting that one of the things that you grapple with is this thing of recognizing God opportunities. When everyone else says it's junk status and it's a time to sell, by the empowering of the Spirit, urging of the Spirit of God, you say, Ha, ah, this is an opportunity, it's time to buy. Because you see a future harvest where others only see despair. Because you are looking at things through a very different lens. Kingdom lenses. So I trust that as you business people grapple with that, that the Lord speaks really clearly to you. Amen. Amen.